been in this series on uh, mission and vision. Um, today is sort of a vision message, but it's, uh, well, you'll see where I'm going with it. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16 is our, our text for this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along or find it in your phone app or whatever, and we'll read together. Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 16. Let's give attention to God's word as it is read. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, who are mature, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is God's word. We thank him for it. I invite you to join me in a prayer. We're gonna ask for the Lord's help in this time. Father, your word lies open before us and uh, it is the living and active truth. It has all authority because you have spoken it. And so, Father, all of us in this room are under it. We submit to it. What it says is true. What it asks, tells us to do, we do. What it tells us to turn from, we turn from. Lord, as the one who is tasked with proclaiming this truth in this moment, I, I pray for divine help, that your spirit would work through the voice of a mere man, Lord, only you can accomplish the, the work in our hearts, and I pray that you would indeed do that, that the sound of my voice would fade, but what would, what would endure is the, the voice of the true and living God. So, Father, help me and help all of us. Give us ears and hearts that are attentive and ready. And so, Lord, please accomplish your work all for the glory of your Son, our Savior Jesus, in, whom, in whose name we pray it. Amen. Well, whether they formally, formally write them down or not, most, most young people in looking to the future set some kind of goal for life, life goals. You know, maybe it's something like, I want to get a job and make lots of money so I can support a family. I want to find a husband or a wife, have a family. Or I want to do something that changes the world or helps people. Perhaps all of us have had in our youth lofty goals where we would change the world. Of course, there's nothing wrong with setting goals for ourselves, for career and education and marriage. There's nothing wrong with that. But as Christians, we think Christianly about this, as disciples of Jesus, we are, we're called to something greater. Now, according to our passage of Scripture, our, our supreme goal in life as Christians is not ultimately fulfilled in this life. I hope you take that away. Our goal is to pursue Christ himself. And our Scripture tells us how we do that. So what I want to do this morning is give our focus to four things simply four things that we must do as we 
pursue Christ. And I'm going to give four words or word statements that we'll use for an outline this morning. And this is where I'm going. Here's what we do as we are straining forward to pursue Christ. We admit, we forget, we press on and hold on. Admit, forget, press on and hold on. Now with Christ as our personal objective. This also has application for us as a church together. And I'll conclude and along the way uh, include some things that, to think about as we move forward together in ministry. What does it mean to be part of Overland Hills Church and where are we going as a church? Well, first of all, as we think about straining forward to Christ, first heading I have here is admit, admit. I don't know if you've ever been through one of these self-assessments that they do for your job. You know, you, you, you fill out this kind of personal, here's the way I think I am. It's a, it's a challenging exercise because you want to be honest, of course, but you wonder if you're going to come off either as proud, right, overly confident, or on the other hand, completely self-abasing, and you're sitting across from someone who has their own biases and who has already filled out his or her own assessment of you, and you're wondering if there's going to be agreement, and if there's stark disagreement, you might, you might feel a sense of rejection. That risk looms large, perhaps, in your mind. But of course, we get this. An honest self-assessment is a healthy place from which to grow. It's true in jobs. It's true in anything that we do. But as disciples of Jesus, how much more? How much more is it important that we have a healthy, biblical self-assessment? We must admit to who we are. This is what the Apostle Paul said. Look, if we look at verse 12 of our text, he said this in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. The word perfect could be complete. That's another way to think of that word. Well, what is this that, that Paul has not obtained? And in what sense is he not yet complete or perfect? In what sense? Well, to, to get an understanding of this, we have to look back to a part of the text I didn't read for us, verse 11. And if you look there just ahead, uh, just be, before the verse that we read at 12, he is talking about attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Now, this is a promise that we all have as believers in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that, in fact, because Christ is raised, we likewise have the confidence of a resurrection like his. His body was glorified. And in some sense, we have a, a similar kind of resurrection. And in that resurrection that we hold on and hope for, and it is assured by the scriptures, because don't take anything away from that, that will be a day when the battle with sin is over. And I don't know if you feel it like I do. I just hate my sin. I hate that it's still there. Things that I say and think, the way I hurt people I love, just offends them and offends God, I know. I hate my sin. I long for that day when we don't do battle with it anymore. The rebellion is fully and finally defeated. And what the resurrection, of course, more than, uh, more than just the, the, the sinlessness and the completion and the perfection in the body, but more than anything, what we long for is that being physically, bodily present 
with the Lord Jesus. Songs have been sung. Oh, that will be glory. What a day that will be. As believers, we long for that. We're, We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And here we are. We feel incomplete because we are incomplete. We have to have this honest self-assessment, just like the Apostle Paul does. Now, it is true for us as believers that because of the cross, and this is, we can hang on to this, because of the cross, the eternal consequence of sin has been taken away. There won't be any condemnation. We have been counted by faith in Jesus for who he is and what he has accomplished for us at the cross. We have been counted righteous in God's sight. But we feel this tension, don't we? Every day, we feel the tension between what the Bible says we are in Christ and our experience. Martin Luther, the reformer, he, he described, he had a formula to describe our incompleteness. And I'm going to give it to you in Latin. Perhaps some of you have heard it. It's simul justus et peccator. I mean, you may not care what that means, but it kind of rings. It, it means this, at the same time, just and sinner. You know, as he was contemplating what it meant that the righteous shall live by faith, he came up with this formula. Yeah, the Bible says we're righteous, but at the same time, still sinner. And so what this means is that even though the power of sin has been destroyed, meaning we don't have to sin, brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't have to sin yet. The reality is, and the Apostle Paul speaks of this, the reality is that we some, while we battle against it, sometimes we lose those battles. And John, the Apostle John, assumes this in his first letter. He says in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But then he gives us this hope and the remedy for it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is what we hang on to. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John gets it. Paul gets it. Sin is insidious. And and we have to admit this. Even our righteous, our most righteous acts are tinged with sin in some way. And I, I can stand here before you and preach But somehow the thought and even the moments happen where I have a desire to please you more than God. Sin creeps in, makes us blind to our own deficiencies. So what do we do? We admit we're not complete. But then it says in verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ has made us his own. He, at the cross, he absorbed our condemnation. Romans 8, 1, I touched on this already. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit, the principle of the spirit, the the fact of the working of the Holy Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law or the principle of sin and death. So we are free, brothers and sisters. We are free from the eternal consequence of sin and we are free from its power in the present. 
So believer in Jesus, rest in this truth. We admit who we are, but rest in the truth. Christ has made us his own. Look around the room. It's okay to do that. I mean, that's why we're together in this place, right? Look around the room. Think of church members here. Maybe the, and think of the ones who cannot be here, who are streaming. We're not a perfect people, are we? But Christ has made us his own. So then it follows. It follows that we're not a perfect church. <laughs> Someone once said this, perhaps you heard it. If you find a perfect church, don't join it, because then it won't be perfect anymore, right? We get how that works. But we're a collection of people that Jesus has made his own. People who have been counted righteous, not because of any of us have achieved it, we have not, but because Jesus has gifted it. So we're imperfect members, we're imperfect pastors, and we're not as impressive as some, some mega church with a famous pastor whose sermons are on the radio. What do we do with this realization? We come back to the fact that God has put us together in this church. And what we have to do, brothers and sisters, is help each other realize that Christ Jesus has made us his own. Jesus owns us individually, and he owns us collectively. Let's remind each other of that. Admit what we are. We're not perfect. We are not complete. Second, forget. It's the second thing we do, is forget. Now, if I forget my wife's birthday, if I forget her anniversary, if I forget to do something I said I would do, not a good thing. Forgetting what you learned in the course at precisely the time that you're taking the exam, not good. Forgetting to pay rent or mortgage, not good. Forgetting to set the alarm, well, I think you get it. Forgetting is generally not good, except, except for here. In our text, and I want you to look again at verse 13. Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Now, that one thing is a package, really, of two things that work together, forgetting and straining forward. But we're going to look at the first part of it. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Now, forgetting is not the, uh, the eradication of the knowledge from my mind. Rather, it's a kind of forgetting that the thing that lies behind no longer controls the present. That's important. It's, it's the reality that the thing that's there that was behind me no longer controls the present. So what is Paul referring to here? What's he referring to? He's got to have some personal experience here. Now, earlier in the chapter, Paul warned, you can look, ahead, look behind, uh, be prior to this section, but I'll just tell you what it, what it deals with there. Paul warned against these people called, we can call them Judaizers, and these were people who professed to believe in Christ, but what they did was that they demanded obedience to Jewish ceremonial law as a precondition of righteousness before God. Yes, they would say, yes, you believe in Jesus, but... We still got to do with the Jewish stuff. And he says in chapter 3, verse 2, look out for those, it's very graphic, who mutilate the flesh. And really, it's referring to those who demand that Jewish circumcision and all that goes with it be held to as a, as a part and parcel of what it means to belong to Christ. 
Now, before Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus, before Jesus opened Paul's eyes while he was yet called Saul in our Bibles, before he opened his eyes, Paul was one such man, though he didn't acknowledge Christ. He put his confidence in the flesh. He put his confidence in his Jewishness. Verse uh, four, Paul recounts his pedigree there. But now, now because of Christ, he counts it as a loss. Brothers and sisters in Christ, true believers in Jesus put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in our ability to please God. We put no confidence in our efforts to earn salvation. Because doing so is self-righteousness. Paul's attempt at righteousness through the law before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul's attempt at righteousness was in fact a sin before God. And that self-righteousness led him to violently persecute the church. The book of Acts, uh, chapter 7, verse 58, records that Saul, he was called back then, he watched over the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen to death. He was on a mission to eradicate the church. And I don't doubt, I don't doubt that he felt the heaviness of that at times. So when he's saying forgetting what lies behind, he hasn't eradicated the memory of what he did. No, in fact, he refers to himself as the foremost of sinners in 1 Timothy uh, 1 verse 5. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he refers to himself as the least of all the apostles for the very reason of having persecuted the church. But he repented of all of that the day that he met Christ. And he could confidently say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. God's grace was not in vain. It was not wasted on Paul. And listen, it is not wasted on you and me. So for us to move forward, we likewise must repent of our self-righteousness. And we must also repent of our wanton unrighteousness and unholiness. And if that true repentance is in your life, it is evidence that God's grace to you is not in vain. So forget what is behind you and press on. God says this in Jeremiah 31, 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now some here are coming from a place where you've pretty much messed up your life. And you're still living with the scars of that. Maybe you've hurt your marriage or even destroyed it. Maybe you've scarred your own life and the lives of others because of your own addiction to substance or something. But, 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 but if you've repented of your sins, these things are in the past. Though you bear those scars, shame's been taken away. Now, as we think of what this means as a church, forgetting what lies behind, we've been through some interesting times lately. Every church, everywhere. And I don't know if, like me, and I've been reading articles, so many pastors have been discouraged. 
through this pandemic, I've been times profoundly discouraged. It's like, how are we supposed to do ministry? I, like, a whole model seems to be like upended. How do we do this? We've been through conflict, which has been hard. <laughs> we as a leadership team, we've learned some things, haven't we? How to communicate better, how to plan better. At times, maybe as leaders, we felt, oh, did me or someone else in the pastoral team fail to attend to the need of a church member? As a church, we're just strain forward. And in doing so, we have to forget what is behind. Learn from those mistakes. Learn from what we've experienced, but not wallow in it. Which brings us to the second part of the one thing I'll do. We press on, press on. And I still have a very vivid memory. It's like a, a sound memory in my head. Uh, hearing my father's voice. He died when I was still a young man. But from when I was a young kid, I, I can hear his voice ringing through the arena when I would play hockey. Hard stops, two hands on the stick, skate. I could hear it just echoing through the arena. Above all, the other dads were yelling at their kids too. <laughs> they all did that. Much tamer now, aren't we parents? We don't do the same thing, do we? Just hold our hands and have a chat in the car. Not back then. Anyway, well, my dad, he wanted me to play to win. And it meant making an effort. And like any sport, you get it. If you're, if you're playing a sport to succeed, you have to make an effort. And it's so true as well of our Christian lives. There is a prize, and we must make the effort. Now, now, some Bible scholars have speculated that the Apostle Paul witnessed or at least was aware of the ancient Olympic Games because he uses uh, athletic illustrations in a couple of places. And, and this text is one such example. Verses 13 and 14, he says, straining forward to what lies ahead, straining forward. You can, you can almost picture the runner just giving everything that they've got to reach the finish line. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what is it that lies ahead? What what is the prize that the Apostle Paul is talking about? What is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Just parking on that phrase, it's a strange kind of phrase, isn't it? Well, we have to look back. Verses 10 and 11 give us a picture there. That upward call of God in Christ Jesus the upward call, so upward where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. There is a day when we will be called upward to be with him in a sense where he is. Not necessarily a, a physical up, but a, an up where he is to be present with him. So there's that. But it's really the power of his resurrection. You can see that, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, it's important to note here, as we look at this, that the prize is not our salvation itself. The prize that we are straining for isn't 
earning, like running a race. If I run fast enough, I'll gain salvation. That would be a wrong way to think of this because it would contradict what the scripture says. In Ephesians 2, the apostle Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. You could say it's not your own straining. It's not your own running. It's not your own effort, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. You see, we're not going to stand before God someday and say, look at me. Look how I got here. No, it's not going to work that way. We can't strive for something that's been gifted to us. So if it's not our salvation, what could Paul mean here? Well, what we can strive for, brothers and sisters, what we can strive for is faithfulness in what we've been given. Faithfulness in what we've been given. In the previous chapter, the Apostle Paul gives this instruction. It might help clarify what he's talking about here. Um, it says in chapter 2, 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. And here it is. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, someone once said, and it might have been Davy Lee, not sure, but he preached a sermon on this, so I'll, I'll give him credit, said, what that means is it's working out what God has worked in you. Working out what God has worked in you. God has worked salvation in you. Now you work it out. You live it out. You live faithfully according to what God has worked in you. You've been given a wonderful gift of grace, with both a future hope of resurrection to be with Christ forever, but also power, power in the present to serve him faithfully. So the prize that the Apostle Paul is talking about, the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus is a life lived purposefully to know Christ more. And as a result, be focused and faithful in his service. We're meant to enjoy Jesus. This is not meant to be a drudgery. This is not meant to be, oh, I guess I can't do this or that thing. Or No. Having Christ, that's ultimate satisfaction. See what the Apostle Paul wants? is that satisfaction in Jesus to be all-consuming. And each and every day we're presented with things that offer a measure of satisfaction, but they're, they're garbage. Only Christ himself offers that satisfaction. But it takes effort. We've been given salvation. Now, make an effort the Apostle Paul says, says this to Timothy in his instruction. He says, using this uh, military imagery, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. You see these illustrations, military, athletic, agrarian, you got to do something. Now, we live in a pretty affluent society. It's so 
easily easy to get accustomed to stuff and comfort. Man, I feel this. Living here in one of the wealthiest, most well-to-do cities in the entire nation. Boy, we can get used to stuff and comfort, can't we? We have to take stock. We have to press on. We have to live like Christ matters. So let me ask you, and I'm even asking myself, are you pressing on? Are you working out your own salvation? Are you living purposefully for Christ? Are you getting entangled in civilian pursuits? We must work for eternal rewards instead of the things that will pass away. We have to work for treasures in heaven instead of the 401k. We should pursue holiness instead of satisfying the cravings of our flesh. We pray for the character of Christ to be evident in our lives and in our fellow church members and family. We pray for the fruit of spirit to be formed in us, that we would love, that we have love, that we would have peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. And then we would run away from things that tempt us to lust, greed, and pride. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's run, let's strive, let's help each other press on. And we do this, we do this by filling up with Christ. That's why we're here. We fill up with his word, that's why we attend to the preaching and the teaching of the word. We confess when we fail, we pray for grace to obey, we stay in fellowship with the church body. We press on. Writer of Hebrews says this, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the, the, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, hear that joy. He endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus. Let's help each other look to Jesus. We do this together to point each other to Christ. Well, finally, we must hold on. Hold on. Uh, last, last weekend, we were out of town for my niece's wedding. And Kathy and I, we had coordinated our flights with Jacob and Leah and Haley so that we could all pitch in and help with Avery. He's two. He likes to run away in the airport, we found out. He has no idea of the danger of getting lost. And we were there with a group effort to hold on to him. He is precious to us. At one point in time, he was giving Haley and Kathy a hard time. I just grabbed him. I said, Papa's going to hold you, and I'm squeezing you tight, and you're staying with me. He squirmed all the way down to the baggage claim, but it was fine. <laughs> Thankfully, we brought him home. That which is precious, hang on to it, right? The same is true as disciples of Jesus. There's something that we need to keep close watch on, something that we have to hold on to. It's so precious that we must never let it go. Now, let me review. Straining forward means we admit. Admit what you are. That means that we forget what is behind and press on to gain Christ. That's what we're called to do. And the Apostle Paul says it's a mark of maturity to think this way. Verse 15 of our text. 
Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. There's something so foundational, so essential. There's one thing that we must do to ensure that we keep going. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Hold true, hold on. And what is that? It's the good news about Jesus. It's the gospel. We have to hold on to that because it's the foundation for everything. It's the reason for everything. It's the message that accomplishes everything of eternal importance. That's what the Apostle Paul said about this message. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous, righteous shall live by faith. Now listen, as individuals, as a church, if we forget the gospel, if we do not continually come back to what Christ has done, we are in danger of moral compromise or the alternative, if we forget the gospel, that every act of good, goodness and service becomes legalism. That is to say, a means by which we would commend ourselves to God. There is danger on both sides. Without the gospel, good works become a means of commending ourselves to God. Without the gospel, we're not even inclined towards good works. As a church, any straining forward, anything that we might pursue together, anything that we might do, it applies to us individually and it applies to us as a church. We have to hold on to the gospel. Our church website, in case you need any reminder, says we are a gospel-centered community. We put that up there to remind ourselves. As leaders, we want that there. We're, yes, that's what we do. We're, we're proclaiming the gospel. Now, admit, forget, press on, hold on. That's what we do individually. And because we're a collection of people who must admit, forget, press on, and hold on, as a church, that has implications for us too. As individual disciples of Jesus, we are together straining forward to gain Christ. So as a church, we have to do some admitting. As a church, we have to understand it is by the grace of God that we are what we are. I mentioned it earlier, not that any of you is longing for this, but I'll tell you, pastors are tempted at it. We're not the famous megachurch. We don't make the news. That's okay. We must forget. There's some things that we need to put behind us. The conflict. And even though that we're still in it, this pandemic, it's affected us and it's affected our thinking. We must say, forget it. I mean, obey what we need to obey, but not let it control us or distract us. We need to press on. 
We need to be purposeful in ministry. And that takes effort. We should not stand still or be complacent. And I have been extraordinarily tempted to become complacent. I don't know if you feel that. I don't know what to do. It's a pandemic. Everything's different. Well, we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't. I feel it. But I'm reading this text and it's reminding me, no, we got to find a way to strain forward. What's the goal? What's the goal that we've got? We want to make disciples, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So we've got to ask ourselves, more importantly, we've got to pray, Lord, how can we be more effective? Pray. Pray for God to form us and to use us, to give us what we need to serve him faithfully. And as we think about what it means to make disciples, pray, pray, God, would you give us more people to baptize? And if he's going to give us more people to baptize, Lord, would you give us more opportunities for gospel sharing? And I felt this lack in my own heart lately. We walk by total strangers and not feel a wit of compassion for the fact that they may be lost. It's convicting. Jesus looked over the crowds, looked over Jerusalem, and he, he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he wept. He's grieved. I'm asking God to give me that grief, that longing to see lost people turn to him. I want my behavior to be changed towards them. As we strain forward, we want to multiply leaders. We want to raise up more pastors and missionaries and, and perhaps begin a pastoral internship because those are all of the things that need to happen. I spent some time, uh, well, it was a while ago now, a couple of years, not, maybe not that long, a year and a half ago in a sabbatical. And I kind of came up with a, a little vision statement. I haven't, haven't shared this publicly. The elders know it. Multiplying disciples and ministries locally and beyond. And I just came up with that statement because that's what the book of Acts looked like. We want to multiply disciples and ministries locally and beyond. Raising up missionaries. You know, there's, and I won't mention any names, spoken with, met with three young adults among us who have are exploring what it means. Maybe the Lord is setting them apart for missions work. Oh, we want to fan that and stoke that fire. We, the Lord has given us a wonderful joy of helping revitalize another church. And I'm saying this. Let's do it again. Let's strain forward. And we haven't done this yet, but maybe the Lord would allow us to plant a church or two. Let's pray for it. It's a holy ambition. But if we think this is just what it's going to be, just carry on the same way. It just doesn't feel like what we're being called to here. So I want to encourage you. Pray. I know it's just a little hint of what I've shared this morning, but pray that God would do some new things. Not things outside of the scripture, but, but new ways of 
seeing disciples multiplied. And Bobby shared his desire to go to seminary. That's a, that leaves a hole. <laughs> but in one sense, it is a victory. Bobby's extraordinarily gifted. And uh, I don't want to give him a big head, but it's a big risk I'm going to take here. But man, he is so gifted. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I, I won't be surprised at a book that he's written or a church that he leads somewhere. I won't be surprised. Brothers and sisters, here's what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians when he challenged them to sow, to spend energies and resources for the kingdom. He said this, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God's able to do that. So hold on to the gospel. Admit what we are Forget what's behind. Press on and hold on. Let's strain forward together. And may God cause us to abound in every good work. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for, for this word of yours. And Lord, um, We can move forward, not because we're extraordinary or even particularly gifted. <laughs> we can move forward because you empower us and we long for that, Lord. So, Lord, mold us and make us and adjust us and change us and grow us. But we pray, accomplish your good work through us. Lord, no pandemic is going to stop you. No conflict that we experience is going to thwart your plans. No one of us will stand in the way of you doing great things. And we pray that you would indeed use us to that end. That way that we may all together give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ for whom all this exists. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever.